0: And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com and cynthiatherlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine if it's that time and get ready for the intermittent fasting podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us, and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy that includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices to get an exclusive discount on your order pick up juve today some exclusions apply i really hope you guys can experience juve it really is one of my favorite things and we'll put all this information in the
1: show notes all right now back to the show New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% 20 off their first order, beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number
0: 296 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with a very special guest today, quickly becoming a crowd favorite. I'm here with Scott Emmons. He is the chief operating officer and co-founder of MD Logic Health, which is a incredible supplement company that you guys are quickly becoming very familiar with because they are actually my partner in bringing you Avalon X, so serrapeptase and magnesium that we've had, and Scott is back here today, well, first of all, because he's basically one of my favorite people in the entire world, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But secondly, because I am thrilled that we are about to launch, actually, when this comes out, we will have just launched my third Avalon X supplement, and it is something that I already personally had been taking every day of my life. Not only that, but it's something I've talked about on the show so, so much, and since this show is the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, it is something that really relates to metabolic health, blood sugar levels, how well you can do your fast, and then on top of that, so many other health benefits that I actually didn't even really realize until sitting down to make my own version of this supplement, and that is Berberine. I've been looking forward to this episode for so long. Scott, thank you so much for being here.
2: Hi, Melanie. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm thrilled to be on and even more excited that we are finally launching Berberine.
0: I know. I feel like this has been such a long time coming. Okay. So a lot of our audience is probably familiar with you because you've actually been on the show twice before. You came on. We did a whole episode of Magnesium with Cynthia and then. More recently, you did an episode with Cynthia for her creatine supplement because Scott also partners with Cynthia for her supplement line. So basically, we just really love Scott. But for those who are not familiar, Scott, super briefly, could you tell your
2: backstory? Sure. For those folks who may not have heard the the first podcast when we went through that. So I was in the biotech and pharmaceutical space for 25 years in a variety of positions in marketing, marketing. Sales, sales leadership. I eventually got onto the managed market side as well as operations and operational side. Really, basically, worked at some of the biggest pharma companies that people have heard of Takeda Pharmaceuticals, AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals, which was at the time part of Merck, Shire, and then became sort of a startup expert and worked my way into the C suite of multiple pharmaceutical companies. And I really kind of around 2018 decided I was going to start my own biotech company and did that, very successful. And literally at right around 2020, when the pandemics first started, I had decided that I really wanted to get into the wellness space. And so we had sold our biotech company. I had three partners and we decided, my partner and I at the time thought, let's uh, let's do a wellness line and make a wellness company we had a connection with one of the world's, well not your world, I should say, one of the largest US, US manufacturers. He is a partner in MD Logic as well. And we really just both believed in making people and keeping people well and letting them optimize their life through supplemental uh, nutrition.
0: Yeah, that's something that I really, really love working with you is you have seen the industry side of things like you you know what you're doing. I have learned so much in creating the supplement line, just what goes on in the supplement creation world and how creating our own supplement line that is not a pharmaceutical, how it compares to that and also all of the crazy practices that go on in this industry, It's it's a little bit shocking.
2: Yeah, it can be. And I think that's where my pharmaceutical background really helps is making sure that we're going to do everything by the book. And you know, by the book, meaning people often see GMP on their label. It'll say GMP or GMP certified. And what that stands for is good manufacturing process. That's a, a compiled document from the FDA of very specific things you need to do both in terms of the manufacturing of the product, the storage of the product, the cleanliness of the machines, the raw ingredients, the testing of the raw ingredients, as well as a number of other things, including how you label, even down to the font size of the label, and then including, of course, what you say about the product and how you make claims. And that's where people tend to get in trouble. And so we, we try to make the absolute best product we can. We have a great process for GMP we have been audited by the FDA as most GMP companies are about every other year or so and have a pristine track record. And I am here to make sure that your supplements and MD Logic health supplements maintain that, that pristine record of both incredible quality testing and maintain the highest standards of GMP or above.
0: Yeah, I am so grateful for this because my honestly my goal in making supplements was I knew I wanted to make the very best on the market and it has been so refreshing to have a partner like you who is so in line with that and even every time I send my emails or I'm creating my content to promote the different supplements I I've come up with like my list of basically the the qualities about the avalonic supplements and I, I say at the beginning that these are the only supplements on the market that are all of these things. And to my best of my knowledge, I mean, that's true. Like they're the only ones that are tested multiple times for purity and potency, free of all allergens. Scott and I have gone to great lengths to get rid of problematic fillers from the supplements, which has been a whole journey on its own, especially revisit. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, the episode that we did on Sarah. No, wait, we haven't done the episode on Peptase yet. Did we? did we? I think we talked about it though.
2: I think we talked about it. I think we did talk about it, it's, but I have to go, I have to go back into my memory log, but I believe we did talk about the serrapeptase. Yeah. Did you come on this show for serrapeptase? I think this might be my third appearance. I think I did do, uh, yeah, I think I did do the serrapeptase first, then the magnesium and then creatine. So yeah, I think serrapeptase was the very first one.
0: My bad. You. So this is your fourth time back.
2: Oh my goodness. Health time flies.
0: <laughs> I know when you're having fun. <laughs> Okay, wait. So in any case, listen to the Serapeptase episode if you want to hear the craziness with the the fillers and the lubrication agents. And also something that's incredible that really I think makes us stand apart is they are in glass bottles, which is very rare and unique in the supplement world. So it's just been an amazing journey. Shall we talk about our berberine journey?
2: Let's let's talk a little bit about the berberine journey. I think the audience would love to hear what kind of transpired, why did it take us so long, and yeah, let, why don't you kick it off, Mel?
0: Okay, so I started taking berberine when I started wearing something that our listeners are probably pretty familiar with, which is a continuous glucose monitor. Just briefly, a continuous glucose monitor is you put it on your arm and it gives you a basically 24-7 look at your blood sugar levels. It is so eye-opening, so fascinating because when you're getting like a, just doing like a finger prick or yeah, like a finger prick or a blood jaw for your blood glucose, that's really just a snapshot in time. And it's not very telling of what is happening, you know, consistently. So if listeners would like to get a continuous glucose monitor, you can go to Nutrisense.io ifpodcast And the promo code IFPODCAST will get you $30 off any subscription program to a NutriSense CGM. So definitely check that out. But in any case, doing a, a CGM really made me look more at my blood sugar levels. And that's when I wanted to see what I could do to help lower it. And berberine is considered to be... The go-to, quote, natural supplement to address blood sugar levels. So the go-to pharmaceutical to address blood sugar levels is metformin. There have been multiple studies comparing metformin to berberine and finding similar effects, which is incredible. So basically berberine can be comparable to metformin in lowering blood sugar, lowering HbA1c, which is a longer term picture of your blood sugar levels, and also lowering insulin without any of the potential side effects of metformin or the other negative side effects that can come with other Metabolic health, blood sugar controlling agents.
2: So, I think that's absolutely correct. I think one thing we want to caution and make certain that we're not giving out medical advice, nor are we suggesting that anyone replace uh, their metformin with berberine. Uh, Not at all. What we are saying is that berberine has some remarkable properties and there's a lot of data. In fact, it's one of the most studied herbs or alkaloids out there. And we really feel passionate about the all of the benefits. In fact, I was stunned to see how many benefits there are with Burberry and as we really dug into the research. But again, we just want to caution, never add anything or take anything away, especially metformin for a diabetic patient. So just want to make sure that that's perfectly clear.
0: Oh yeah, I'm so, so glad you said that. And that's actually really appropriate because we got a lot of questions about that. Like Corinna said, how is it different than metformin? Mari said, can you take it while taking metformin? And Leah said, can it be taken if one is already on metformin? Can it be taken instead of metformin? So just to dive deeper into all of that and to what Scott just said. So metformin, as well as some other drugs that are used for similar purposes, can have side effects. Metformin notoriously has gastrointestinal discomfort. Metformin cannot be used by diabetics with liver disease, renal impairment, or cardiopulmonary insufficiency and then there are some other related drugs like I don't even know how you say it is it piog
2: pioglitazone <laughs> yeah, I know that one cuz I sold it
0: I was like Scott probably knows
2: <laughs> pioglitazone or pioglitazone
0: so that one can increase the risks of distal bone fractures bladder cancer and edema here's another one Scott sulfonyl, sulfonyl- or-
2: sulfonylurea
0: yes yeah that one's linked to hypoglycemia weight gain and cardiovascular damage so when we compare this to berberine very little, if any, side effects. Some people do have some GI issues potentially in the beginning, which we can talk about, but we can definitely dive into that because ironically, with even with the GI issues, berberine has a ton of potential benefits for GI health. But besides that, you basically get all of the benefits of blood sugar control with a myriad of other benefits that we're going to talk about without the potential negative side effects of these pharmaceuticals. And they're have been. So like Scott said, we are not saying to stop your medications. We're not saying to even add this to your medications. That's something you would want to talk with your doctor about. Anything that you're doing, playing with your medications, definitely work with your doctor. That said, there's actually been quite a few studies looking at berberine in combination with metformin and finding beneficial effects, potentially that it might be a better approach not saying to do this, work with your doctor, but potentially that a combination therapy might be better than metformin alone because you can get more of the benefits with less of the side
2: effects. I was going to add to that to just make sure that people make certain that, you know, if you add berberine to an anti-diabetic, it can cause hypoglycemia. So that's something you want to be, you want to be cautious of. So whatever the side effects of your prescription medication are, you want to let your physician know that you're going to take berberine and get get their permission, make sure that the drugs you're on are not going to interfere with it because some drugs can have hypoglycemia on their own. When you, when you add something like berberine, it can increase that potential. So that's something people have to be very cautious. Of. Hypoglycemia can be a life-threatening condition as those folks who've had it know. And it's interesting, Melanie, the three drugs you mentioned, you mentioned metformin, which is sort of the gold standard. About 80% of diabetics are taking metformin or what used to be called glucophage, the brand name pioglitazone, or a TZD as they're known, which is an insulin resistance molecule that works on PPAR-alpha and PPAR-gamma. And then you mentioned sulfonylurea, which actually works on the pancreas to secrete more insulin. So each one of those works differently. Metformin primarily works on the liver and preventing gluconeogenesis and a little bit of insulin resistance. Then there's the TZD class pioglitazone that works primarily on insulin resistance. And then there is the sulfonylurea class, which increases your pancreas' output of insulin. So they all work in different ways and they can all have different interactions with, with berberine. So again, always talk to your physician. And I think the real benefit, Melanie, is that berberine doesn't, you don't have to have high blood sugar or you don't have to have diabetes to benefit. In fact, the real benefit we wanna talk about today is what is the benefit for just people in general that wanna optimize their health and optimize their cellular function and their energy. And I think that is where berberine shines.
0: First of all, that was highly impressive that you knew all of that. <laughs> I'm so impressed. Okay. Yeah, no, and I'm so glad you said that because that is the the exact same page that I'm on. And so, like I said, I came to it originally for blood sugar control, and I think that's why most people think about it. And it's a great reason to take it, but there's so, so many other benefits, like whole body benefits. So like questions we had, very simple. Kirstie said, why do I need it? Jennifer said, what are all the benefits that come from taking it? Amy said, will it help with insulin resistance? And then what we will also get into, Paul said, wondering what other health benefits it offers besides blood sugar regulation. Andrea said, does it have any other benefits besides preventing lessening glucose spikes? So we can dive deep into all of that. But to start off, I would like to give an overview of how it does work for blood sugar control, because I think that really speaks to why it can be really beneficial to take when you understand that it's not like a pharmaceutical where it's... Like with the pharmaceuticals, they typically have a more singular approach to why they're working compared to berberine that has all of these effects that can create this metabolic health. So... For the blood glucose control, like Scott had mentioned, it can be used for addressing insulin sensitivity and reducing blood sugar. It's so interesting because there are so many studies. I had so much fun preparing for this because there are so many different hypotheses for how it's doing that. So one of the main mechanisms, and Scott mentioned this, is that directly in the liver, it actually can reduce the liver's ability to actually create Glucose or like create glucose and release it into the bloodstream. Because a mind blowing fact, I remember when I first learned this and it blew my mind because I think most people don't realize this is that when people have high blood sugar levels, most people think it is from what they're eating, which it is, but the actual like 24-7 higher blood sugar levels, that's mostly being controlled by your liver. So it's your liver creating glucose and releasing glucose. So berberine actually inhibits that. It reduces enzymes directly in the liver that do that process. <laughs> so then it can't happen. And interestingly, they have found that even though it helps insulin sensitivity, it doesn't seem to actually affect insulin production in the liver. So it's working independent of that, which is really interesting. It can actually directly in the gut reduce intestinal glucose absorption. So just starting at the very beginning, it can stop the glucose from actually entering the body in the first place. And that's by inhibiting a specific enzyme called a glucosidase activity. And so that's an intestinal enzyme that actually digests carbs and converts them into more simpler sugars. So stopping that keeps you from actually absorbing some of those carbs in the first place. And then beyond all of those enzymes and such, it also can actually affect the transport of glucose throughout the body. And then on top of that, we can talk about the gut health potential of it, but a lot of the researchers have hypothesized that its beneficial effects on the gut microbiome actually have a secondary effect of blood sugar control by the metabolic health state that is created from that. So the anti-inflammatory state, the encouraging of short-chain fatty acid butyrate-producing bacteria. When butyrate is created and gets into the bloodstream, it actually can help with glycemic control and the reduction of inflammation in the gut from endotoxin and LPS and the recruitment of macrophages. And I realize I say all these words really fast and I know what they mean, but People might not know what they mean, so that's basically like the toxic byproducts that are created from quote bad bacteria. Because i I realize saying good and bad bacteria can be a little bit simplistic. It reduces the inflammatory potential of the gut, and inflammation is a key driver in metabolic issues. I can stop there a little bit. Do you want to jump in at all, Scott?
2: Well, first of all, great. I think it's a fantastic overview and you can see how many sort of different complex mechanisms berberine appears to have and why it has sort of a, a broad broad base of positive impact across a number of organs and a number of organ systems and then in particular blood sugar. And you know, I think we're going to learn a lot more as, as this molecule is again, kind of becoming, I shouldn't say molecule, you know, this, this plant alkaloid is becoming hot on people's radar again. And I think at the end of the day, you know, insulin is such a powerful hormone that when you can maintain blood glucose, which your audience is all about, you know, the intermittent fasting audience really understands what glucose, what blood glucose is about. But I don't know that we, we talk about the power of insulin and how powerful it is. So I don't know if berberine lowers your fasting insulin and or postprandial insulin, meaning after a meal. My guess would be yes, because if it's lowering blood glucose with people that are already in normal ranges. Well, then it's going to probably lower your insulin. And we know in the presence of insulin, it's more difficult to burn fat. So it's just all these different ways in which it slows the 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 breakdown of glucose, it slows the liver's export or, or gluconeogenesis, creating new sugar to push out into the into the bloodstream. All of these different mechanisms, I think, are fascinating. And the more we learn about it, I think the more we're going to realize that this, this compound is going to have some very significant overall benefits for your well-being on a number of different organ systems.
0: I'm so glad you said that. Two things to comment on so the insulin piece. So I did find studies showing a reduction in insulin. It was ones where they were comparing it to metformin and they were looking at the, the long-term effects of that. And then there's so many studies talking about how it increases insulin sensitivity. So that is definitely happening. But I'm so glad you said that because we, we probably should start with a really important question or start, we should get to a really important question. Jennifer said, what is it? Is it a plant, a fruit, et cetera? April said, I know seropeptase comes from silkworms, but where does berberine come from? When did people start using it? So I, I realized we were saying like, we haven't really defined what it is. So it is a plant alkaloid. And Scott, would you like to tell talk about the plant that it comes from and, and why we chose the one that we chose?
2: So there's different forms of berberine based on the plant source that it comes from. The one that's been used in our medicine in India, and is usually the form that is used in most of the studies you're going to see. And I hope, I hope I pronounce this right, but it's Berberis ar Aristata, I believe, and that's spelled B-E-R B-E-R-I-S space A-R-I-S-T. A-T-A. And that is the form that we've used. And that comes from the Indian Barbary tree or shrub. And it is a shrub that belongs to the genus Berberis. And it is found specifically in India. And there are many different species of this shrub. And it's typically found in the Himalaya area of India and Nepal, as well as other places in Sri Lanka. And that is the form that we've utilized.
0: Do you know when they started using Berberine?
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna take an educated guess because Vedic our, our medicine goes back a while. So I'm gonna take an educated guess and say, fifteen hundred years ago,
0: three thousand BC. Wow! To treat diarrhea and dysentery. That's like when they very first started. Isn't that crazy? That's a long. That is a long safety record. I will say. <laughs> like, like. Um, which we can circle back to.
2: So I was only off by 4,000 years, you know, not bad.
0: (laughs) It probably got upregulated more, you know, a little bit later when it first appeared. And like I said, so that was for, to treat diarrhea and dysentery and just to circle back a little bit to the GI health aspect to really fill that out. So there's been so many studies on berberine and its effect on gut bacteria. And actually we have a question about this, so I'll just tie that in right now. So for example, Nikki said, I've heard people say not to take it daily because it changes your gut bacteria. What are your thoughts on that? Maris said, this would be my question. I always cycle on and off of it, but I know Melanie does not. And then Karen said, berberine is used as an herbal antibacterial slash antimicrobial, which I was going to get to. So I'm glad she said that. She said, in addition to the blood sugar lowering properties that you are focusing on, I'm concerned about negative effects on beneficial gut bacteria with regular use of this product. Can you speak to that? So I'm super happy that people were asking about that. So there have been a lot of studies looking at its effect on gut bacteria populations. And across the board, it tends to increase the, quote, positive good bacteria, specifically bacteroides, and decrease the more inflammatory bacteria, specifically firmicutes. But not just those two, because those are the two that, I mean, if you know about gut microbiome, you might have heard of them before, but there's been a lot of other studies. So, for example, it's directly antibacterial against E. coli and Clostridium difficile. It can increase. I mentioned this earlier. The short chain fatty acid producing bacteria, specifically, and I don't know if I'm going to say these right: Faecalibacterium, <laughs> an Anaerotruncus, and oslobacteria. Those are all short chain fatty acid producing bacteria that can help with intestinal integrity. And it also may inhibit a certain type of bacteria that has been connected to obesity, which is super cool. And we can um, actually get into the obesity body fat bit in a little bit. So basically, it seems to have a very beneficial effect on gut bacteria. I would not be personally, and again, you make your own decisions and choices, but I personally am not concerned about the effect because it seems to have a very beneficial effect. I actually wonder, Scott, I'd be curious your thoughts on this. I hypothesize that people who might sometimes be experiencing negative side effects in the beginning. It might be because they are playing with the populations of their bacteria and are experiencing a sort of die-off effect. Because whenever you go after the bad guys, you can get negative side effects from that. It's a good thing because you are moving the needle towards a more beneficial population. There might be some side effects in the interim. And for example, I found there was one study looking at berberine compared to metformin, and it found that all of the side effects... Only happened in the very beginning of the trial, and there's a longer term trial. So, if you are experiencing gut issues in the beginning, I would suggest maybe lowering your dose, and we can talk about this later, and maybe sticking it out a little bit. But Scott, what are your thoughts?
2: So, I think your your hypothesis is a pretty good one. Meaning, anytime you're detoxing the body, even if it, you know, even if detoxing is "quote unquote" a good thing, you know that you're killing off a lot of bad bacteria and maybe you're not using a binding agent or you you know you've got a lot of bad bacteria in your gut that could cause inflammation the destruction of those can release toxins so yeah that that could very well be i think you know a little spe- that's a little speculative but it's a reasonable theory but what is pretty consistent is that the metformin side effects and the berberine side effects both seem to happen up front and the the solution to that in in the in the glucophage world is what doctors will say, and many patients probably heard this, we're going to, you know, start low and go slow. So if you are sensitive, or you've never taken berberine before, or you have a, you know, you, you take two pills on day one, and you feel a little bit of a upset, then back down to one capsule, 500 milligrams once a day, kind of stabilize yourself, and then you can work your way up. And That's really, I think, always goes for kind of any medication or supplement. You always want the lowest effective dose. Now, we came out with the 500 milligram and a lot of discussion about, you know, what to recommend in terms of dosing, you know, one to three capsules a day is where we landed because the majority of the data suggests that on the low end, 500 milligrams is right. On the higher end, 15 milligrams is correct. Many of the studies have been done with, you know, 500 milligrams three times a day. I don't think you want to take 1500 in one shot. Really, you want to break that up over three doses. But that's where we found like the the sweet spot was. So if people are experiencing side effects, I would say start with 500 and just, you know, slowly work your way up.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because we had had obviously a lot of questions about dosaging. Like Jennifer said, how much can or should I take? Claudia said, how much to take? What's the dosage? Anna Maria, when is the best time to take it to optimize results? Amy, is it best to cycle it or take it every day? Should one take it at the same time every day or time it more specifically to be ingested before you eat a potentially glucose spiking meal? Cheryl wanted to know, do you take it with food or an empty stomach? And Nadia wanted to know, does it break the fast? Teresa also wanted to know, is it something that you can take daily? I know Sean Wells lists it as one of his most recommended supplements. But I've heard Cynthia Thurlow say that she has people cycle it. I will put a link in the show notes, by the way, to an episode I had with Sean Wells on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. I adore Sean, and he is one of the go-to people in the supplement world. He's just a phenom when it comes to that. But yeah, so to answer all of those questions, Scott just gave a really nice overview of the dosage, and we thought long and hard about what dosage to do for it, more so again going back to what we were talking about in the beginning about the craziness with regulations it's crazy how you have to like figure out what you can actually say on the label to get the dosage that you want it's hard to describe but basically i had a very clear idea of what i wanted to say and it had to go through like scott and like the legal team to like get it on the label <laughs> Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get 10% off my new magnesium supplement. Magnesium is such a crucial mineral in the body. It's involved in over 600 enzymatic processes. Basically everything that you do requires magnesium, including creating energy from your food, turning it into ATP in the mitochondria, boosting your antioxidant system. Magnesium has been shown to help with the creation of glutathione, regulating your blood sugar levels, affecting nerve health, muscle recovery, muscle contractions, supporting cardiovascular health and blood pressure, aiding sleep and relaxation, and so much more. It's estimated that up to two-thirds of Americans do not get the daily recommended levels of magnesium. And on top of that, magnesium deficiencies can often be silent because only 1% of magnesium is actually in our bloodstream. So that might not be reflective of a true magnesium deficiency. Our modern soils are depleted of magnesium. We're not getting it in our diet. That's why it can be so crucial to supplement with magnesium Daily. I wanted to make the best magnesium on the market, and that is what magnesium 8 is. It contains eight forms of magnesium in their most absorbable forms, so you can truly boost your magnesium levels. It comes with the cofactor methylated B6 to help with absorption, as well as chelated manganese because magnesium can actually displace manganese in the body. My Avalon X supplements are free of all problematic fillers, including rice, which is very, very common in a lot of supplements, including some popular magnesium supplements on the market. It's tested. Multiple times for purity and potency and to be free of all common allergens as well as free of heavy metals and mold. And it comes in a glass bottle to help prevent leaching of toxins into our bodies and the environment. Friends, I wanted to make the best magnesium on the market, and that is what this magnesium is. You can get magnesium8 at avalonx.us and use the coupon code MelanieAvalon to get 10% off your order. That code will also work on all my supplements, including my first supplement that I made, Serapeptase. You guys. Love seropeptase, a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm that breaks down problematic proteins in your body and can help allergies, inflammation, wound healing, clear up your skin, clear brain fog, even reduce cholesterol and amyloid plaque. All of this is at avalonx.us. That coupon code Melanie Avalon will also get you 10% off site wide from my amazing partner, MD Logic Health. For that, just go to Melanieavalon.com/slash MDlogic. You can also get on my email list for all of the updates. That's at avalonx.us slash email list. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. The way I
2: wanted it. That is correct. And I and I, you know, I think that's why we, we take those cautions because it's important for the public to make sure that what we're saying is in line with what is appropriate but but also to make sure that we're following all of the guidelines guidance and making sure that we are in compliance and that's that comes from 25 years of <laughs> pharmaceutical lawyers pounding into me what I can't say right so so I want to make sure we do that but on the other side it's also what is it that we can say that will really make sure we're giving a clear specific guidance that is in the best alignment with what the data and the research suggests. And I think we got there. And I think to your frustration, Melanie, I think a lot of people assume that the the supplement world is a free sort of cowboy, wild cowboy world, but there are very stringent guidelines on labeling, claim that you make on that label, what you can say, what you can name it, and even down to like the font size and, and how you list the ingredients and what size certain ingredients have to be in the font size. I mean, it gets, it gets very particular. So again, going back to this, you know, what is GMP? If you're following CFR 21, which is the regulations on, you know, how you label a supplement properly along with what does GMP mean, it's extensive. And and I think that's been one of the learning lessons that you have come across as, wow, you know, how many things you have to do to make sure you've done it right. But then again, how many other companies kind of want to escape that that edge, that sort of, you know, go 75 in a, in a, in a 65 and, and make sure they don't get a ticket, right? And we'd rather go 65 and a 65 than, than do the 75. And, and I think that is an interesting learning from a lot of people that we work with in this space, physicians want to do co-brands and so forth
0: again, just another reason I've been so grateful to work with you because you get all of this and I have learned so much and it's just really been a really amazing, incredible experience. So yeah, so the dosage we landed on that we've mentioned is based on what the majority of the studies. So probably the majority of the studies are half a gram or 500 milligrams. Those are comparable (laughs) three times a day, but it ranges from, you know, actually in the studies, it's not normally on the lower end, but it can be. So I wanted it to have, you know, a minimum of like 500 milligrams, up to two grams, which seems to be the upper limit. So that's the way we had it working on the bottle so that it could cover that range. I will say, because we got a question, because I had Megan Ramos on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast, who she's amazing. Definitely listened to that interview with her. She shared a, a negative experience she had with berberine, experimenting with it during pregnancy, I think.
2: Yeah. That's a, that's a no, no.
0: Yeah. And she was taking two grams, which again is the upper limit of that. So like, for example, Lucy said, Megan Ramos mentioned a few times that she was very sick with a negative reaction to berberine when she was on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. I'd like to know the main contraindications for berberine and how to avoid similar situations. So again, in that situation, revisiting that episode, Megan was taking the upper limit and while she was pregnant. So I would start, you know, not at the upper limit, not take it during, you know, pregnancy or work with your doctor, so, you know, definitely you just want to be aware of all factors
2: involved. So here are the contraindications. There's a few, but they're, they're fairly rare except for pregnancy. So the first one is if you're on cyclosporine A, you do not want to take berberine because it can have an, an interaction with that through the C, CYP43A for uh, enzyme in the liver. Then you also do not want to take berberine with warfarin or theopentyl. I think I'm saying that right, Pen, pental or tolbutamide, because it can displace them from increasing the blood and increase the blood toxicity of those particular drugs. So those, warfarin has what's called a very narrow therapeutic index. Some of these other drugs do as well. So if you increase just their bioavailability a tad or decrease it a tad, it, it either will become toxic or it can become ineffective. So those are contraindications, and then macrolide antibiotics such as azithromycin and clarithromycin may also interact. They're not contraindicated, but they they are certainly something that you do not want to take berberine with unless you absolutely had to based on a physician recommendation. And lastly, we do not want to take berberine if you are pregnant. That is uh, that's contraindicated as well.
0: Yes, so I'm glad we could could speak to that. As far as does it break a fast? No, it will support your fast, if anything. I actually don't take it the way most people take it. (laughs) Well, first of all, I'm not eating three times a day, so I'm not taking it three times a day before meals. I actually take it in the morning, in the fasted state, and then I actually don't take it later before my meal, although I probably should experiment with doing that, come to think of it. That would probably be beneficial. And The reason I was doing that was I was just seeing the biggest spike in my blood sugar in the early part of the day, but you can really experiment and find what works for you. But typically people are taking it before meals. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about that, Scott?
2: If you have a CGM, you want to experiment with that, or if you take your blood sugar through another, you know, means, I think you want to experiment with that. For me personally, you know, I'm going to take one probably on an empty stomach starting when I start my sort of new regime in January typically when i take berberine it's going to be about an hour to an hour and a half before my meal because i want to get the berberine inside my intestines i want it to be metabolized and we're going to talk I know a little bit about the metabolites and the, the active metabolites of berberine so i think about an hour to an hour and a half prior to my meal to ensure that the maximum blood plasma level is there and that the metabolites are beginning to get into my system that to me seems reasonable. Now, if you have GI upset, it's probably going to be best to take it closer to your meal. So I think you want to experiment with that, both from a what's most comfortable for you. And then if you have the ability to measure your blood glucose, what's working best for you. So for example, there's someone who, who owns a CGM company, has a podcast. He actually I was just listening to his podcast in preparation for this show. And he had sort of limited success with berberine pre-meals. Now, keep in mind, this is someone who's on a very restricted diet. He understands insulin. So he's probably already in a low insulin, low glycemic state to begin with. So he didn't see a lot of change with berberine before meals. But when he took it for the fasting insulin in the evening, he noticed a dramatic decrease in his fasting insulin in the mornings. And that that speaks to that liver part of gluconeogenesis, because your liver's job with gluconeogenesis is to keep you from going into hypoglycemia while you sleep. And so when you are diabetic or you have blood sugar issues that are beginning, your liver might be getting the wrong signal, thinking, hey, we don't have enough glucose, so it's pushing glucose out, even though your glucose is already very high. So based on the various ways that it seems berberine works, I think each person's body type and where they're at, it's going to kind of have a different impact. My personal recommendation for me is going to be to try to to start taking it on an empty stomach hour and a half before meals is what I currently do. And then I might experiment with an evening, uh, a pre-evening dose.
0: So I'm so glad that you mentioned body fat. I know you were talking about it in a little bit different context, but I do want to talk briefly about the super cool effect that berberine can potentially have on body composition, especially because I know a lot of people, one of their main goals, possibly why they're listening to this podcast is for body composition effects. And there's been a lot of studies looking at berberine's effect on body recomposition with or without weight loss. So it seems that in particular, berberine can actually reduce the levels of inflammatory fat specifically. So visceral fat is the type of fat that is found surrounding the organs. And it's actually the type of fat linked to metabolic health issues compared to like subcutaneous fat, which is found underneath the skin and which is considered to actually be more benign when it comes to health issues. So berberine has been found in some studies, it leads to weight loss, specifically reducing visceral fat. And in some studies, there's actually not weight loss, but there is a shift in the type of body fat, which is super cool. Basically, it's making your body more healthy when it be, when it comes to fat. So mice treated with berberine have actually been found to have shrunken adipocytes. So basically their fat cells are smaller, which is super cool. Other studies basically propose that the anti-obesity activity of berberine can involve in part that not only decreased size of lipid droplets, but actually also the number of lipid droplets. There's a study... Suggesting that berberine actually increases thermogenesis in brown and white tissue.
2: Yeah, that that was very interesting to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. So basically, increasing burning calories in your fat tissue, which is very cool, because you really want to stack, especially in you know with our modern diet environment, you want to do everything you can to stack the cards in your favor to have a healthy metabolic profile when it comes to body fat and. It can be hard to do that, especially when there are cellular mechanisms involved. And so anything that can really affect that, like berberine, can definitely be something to try. It can also discourage the creation of new fat cells. Super cool. And that's actually by affecting transcription factors that are involved in creating fat cells in the first place. And then, for example, a review of five studies that encompassed 1,078 women and you know, I love when we got studies in women found that it did indeed induce a redistribution of fat tissue, specifically reducing that inflammatory visceral fat that I that I spoke of. And and speaking of the inflammatory potential, not only is it reducing the amount of inflammatory fat, it actually may make fat in general less inflammatory by reducing the um, recruitment of macrophages to fatty tissue. And and so macrophages are basically. So these things that go in and you can think of them like Pac-Man, like they go and like gobble up things. So they're good. We we want them in our body. They deal with you know getting rid of waste and fighting pathogens and things like that. But when you have an overabundance of them, it can be a very inflammatory state. And so a lot of people's resistant fat, when people really just struggle to burn fat, it can be because the fat itself has become inflammatory and it becomes resistant to fat burning.
2: Are you referring to a brown fat versus white fat and adipose tissue?
0: So it, it found that it activated thermogenesis in both of them, which is super cool. Did you find one showing that it increased brown?
2: Yeah, so I found a few studies that, that's, that says that berberine promotes the recruitment and activation of brown adipose tissue in mice and in humans, which was pretty interesting. There was an, another study about berberine activating thermogenesis in both white and brown adipose tissue, but, but one of the things I thought was so interesting was that it does seem it can, it can help your body promote brown fat, thus thermogenesis. And brown fat is, you know, packed with mitochondria. It keeps you from shivering. And that's why babies have a lot of brown, brown fat versus white fat, white fat being the inflammatory version, brown fat being more of what they call an activated fat, which has its own mitochondria in it. And really actually is more of a positive sort of energy burning fat than white fat is so um that i found really interesting and even if so again to your point if you don't lose weight if you're just shifting that you know that fat from the sort of more inflammatory to the less inflammatory more highly energetic fat i think you're going to a lot of benefit.
0: I'm so glad you said that. You really revealed that you have a a grasp of what's going on because brown fat and white fat, like Scott mentioned, brown fat is really high in mitochondria. It's activated by cold is something that activates it. It actually helps you lose weight, which is ironic because it it is fat, but it creates heat. And so it basically wastes energy. But but the thing that you said, Scott, that, I mean, I already knew this, but maybe... (laughs) made it aware that you actually really know what you're talking about. I think a lot of people think brown fat and because they associate it with cold, they think, oh, that's like shivering, but it's not. It's actually keeps you from shivering because the alternative to brown fat is to shiver, basically.
2: Exactly. And do you know how I know that, Melanie? No. Ice baths have taught me
0: that. Well, I was going to say cryotherapy, but...
2: Yeah, so uh, I, I am an ice bath guy and I'm about to embark on a... January 1st through February polar plunge for mental health benefits I'm currently in back in training putting my filling my tub up with giant hunks of ice and getting in there for 10 minutes or so to uh, adapt and so I discovered the benefit of brown fat as I was really this was like goes back to 2016 when I first began doing ice baths which by the way changed my life from in so many ways but that's when I discovered, what brown fat was, why it was important, and how I adapted to the cold over time by creating more of this brown fat. I mean, the first time I got in an ice bath, it was 60 seconds of pure shivering and agony. You know, three months later, I could sit in there for eight, 10 minutes at you know, 45, 40 degrees temperature of Fahrenheit and not shiver at all. In fact, one time I stayed in so long because I hadn't shivered, I, I w- did get a little hypothermic. So uh, that's how I learned about the brown fat and white fat was was through ice bath.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. I remember Scott and I met, when did we meet? Spring of 2021.
2: I think you're right. I think it was April of 2021.
0: Yeah, because we launched seropeptase in 2021.
2: November, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that was one of our first conversations like way back in the day.
2: It, our first yeah it was a first conversation was ice bath and then followed by uh, a lot of discussion on infrared and near infrared and therapy and saunas, which I'm also a huge fan of, by the way.
0: Yes, so many things. One last health benefit related thing I think we should talk about, especially with this show, because people. One of the reasons people often do fasting. Well, it's not the reason, but something we talk about a lot with the benefits of fasting is how fasting stimulates something called AMPK, which is basically a fuel-sensing enzyme that is... It plays a key role in how our bodies use energy, and it's activated by stressors like calorie restriction and fasting and exercise. It is associated with so many health benefits. Like, you want AMPK activation. Um, It helps with longevity, metabolic health, inflammation, so many things... Berberine has found to be a very potent stimulator of AMPK, which is awesome. And then another fasting related thing, we talk all the time on here about autophagy, which is activated by fasting as well, and it's where the body actually goes down and breaks down problematic proteins and recycles them. It's like a it's like a cleanse on the cellular level. It's very very important for metabolic health and longevity. And berberine has also been found to be a stimulator of autophagy. So that is awesome.
2: People underestimate the importance of healthy autophagy, getting rid of cells or what they might call zombie cells or mitochondria that need to sort of need to go because they'll contaminate the other healthy mitochondria around it. I think autophagy is a, a tremendous, tremendous benefit. And obviously the AMPK, there's a plethora of data on all the various things that that impacts across your longevity and health span. One other thing that I think we didn't, I don't think we touched on, but I know came up in the literature quite a bit is the positive benefits of berberine on the liver. And I'm a big guy on liver. I think if your liver is not functioning right, if you're, it's not making bile, if it's not digesting your toxins properly, you know, you're going to end up in trouble. And so to me, I think that the liver benefits of berberine have probably underestimated at this point. There's not as much data and studies as I'd like to see, but there is definitely data to suggest that it works to support liver enzyme health, liver function in in the presence of toxins. And I think that is really important. So, you know, when you look at the overall effect of what berberine is doing, it's to, to your point earlier, it's working on AMPK, it's working on glucose, it's working in your gut mi- micro, microbiome, it's working on your liver and your liver's function. And it, and I think all of these things combined lead to one sort of, in my mind, one conclusion, which is there's something about this particular product that allows your body to function in sort of a, in an optimal level while keeping the blood glucose down, supporting mitochondria, supporting liver health. And I think it all ties back to if blood glucose and insulin are lower, then you're going to have a cascade of positive effects across your body. And I think that is why CGMs have become so popular, is people realize that if they can keep their, their blood glucose at a reasonably modest, normal level without having huge spikes throughout the day, that overall is going to lead to a to a healthier, a longer and healthier lifespan. And the, the data on that is, is pretty convincing. So that's where I think berberine kind of shines as this, this molecule plant alkaloid that just has so many benefits. So back to the liver, there, there is a couple of studies on liver enzymes and also on liver function. Uh, you know, I would encourage people to take a look at that research. And again, of course, always speak to your doctor if you're taking anything for liver disease.
0: I'm so, so glad you mentioned that as well, because that actually goes really well with one other health benefit I wanted to touch on, and it it also involves the liver. So glad we're talking about it. And that is the role of berberine on cholesterol levels and lipid panels. So Margaret said, for example, is it okay to take it long-term to help lower cholesterol? And we can speak to the, the long-term aspect in a bit, but just as far as the, the cholesterol side of things, so... Not only does it directly reduce the absorption of lipids into circulation from your gut, because the whole caveat there is dietary cholesterol is not necessarily the primary driver of problematic cholesterol levels. It's more, at least in my opinion, the the creation of endogenous cholesterol and what's happening with that. And so the effects in the liver on cholesterol and lipids is, I mean there's so many. So it can promote the liver's LDL receptor mRNA expression to beneficially modulate LDL levels. It can directly inhibit the creation of cholesterol and triglycerides in liver cells. So in rodent trials, it's been found to inhibit NAFLD. So non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and mice fed a high fat diet, which is huge. And in human trials have actually found that berberine supplementation can reduce liver enzymes in patients with type two diabetes. So going back to what Scott was saying about liver health, and it can also reduce fatty acid synthesis directly in the liver and a lot of transcription factors related to fatty liver. And so for example, there was one study in humans, and not only did they find decreased body weight and BMI in those on berberine, well, what was super cool about this study is it had people do berberine and then have a washout period where they were not taking the berberine and then go back on the berberine. And they found that their triglycerides, their cholesterol, their LDL, and their HDL all improved based on when they were like taking the berberine. So when they were on the berberine, it improved. When they went off, it went away. And then when they went on again, it improved again. So lots of potential benefits there with cholesterol and lipids.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And the one part I'd like to focus on that is with triglycerides. So, having been in the diabetes universe for 15 years or so, one of the things that I spoke with when I worked with, you know, endocrinologists, those are your, the specialists that treat diabetes. The thing that the cutting edge endocrinologists would tell you is if you see someone that has a relatively high fasting glucose, but they are not diabetic, but their triglycerides are above normal, he's like, that person's going to have diabetes if they don't change their lifestyle in a few years. Triglycerides are sort of the leading indicator, like, hey, you're on your way to diabetes if you don't change this. And your body is basically taking this sugar and trying to figure out what it's going to do with it because it can't do something. This isn't the scientific way to say this, but basically your triglycerides are sort of this this canary in the coal mine, that if they're high, but your blood glucose hasn't quite broken, you know, technically the diabetic limit, you're probably on your way there. So that's, a, that's something you really want to look out for. So the fact that it does have these studies that show that it can have a positive impact and support the body's ability to reduce triglycerides really says something to me about it, the way that it's working for blood glucose.
0: And I think that actually ties in nicely to something that I wanted to talk about, which is the specific form that we chose, because we got a lot of questions about dihydroberberine. So, for example, Teresa said she wants to know the difference between berberine versus dihydroberberine. Aaron said, same thing. What's the difference between those two? Susie said, what is the difference between them and what is the best? Paul said that he actually did better taking dihydroberberine, that he didn't have the bloatation and the gassy issues. And then Amanda said that, oh, this is something that we can speak to, the absorption levels. Amanda said that Mike Mutzel talks about not using the highly absorbable kind, which presumably I'm assuming is the dihydroberberine, as that's how berberine is effective in the gut by not being highly absorbable. So just speaking to what you were just talking about, Scott, with all of these over-encompassing effects and so many things that are going on. Shall we talk about, because we debated for a long time about, well, more so in the beginning. I think once we got to an understanding about it, we felt pretty good. But we were looking at, should we do a berberine or should we do a dihydroberberine, which dihydroberberine is a, a newer form of berberine, at least from being like sold and marketed, which is said to be more absorbable and said to have a more potent effect on lowering blood sugar. We chose not to do that. Scott, would you like to explain a little bit
2: why? At first, it was two things. I think this goes back to my experience with prodrugs and metabolites of prodrugs and then also looking at the data. So of the 30 years worth of research that we have sort of a a good grasp on, and and just there's a ton in the last 15 years, all of it is on berberine or the vast, vast majority, I should say. There is very little data on dihydroberberine beyond just either its increase of, quote-unquote, plasma level. But plasma level is not really what separates berberine from the pack. So it, it, I'll give you the, an analogy and tell me if it's apt, Melanie. But with CBD, for example, if you get a pure 100% isolated CBD, you may have no effect from it. Because it's not just the CBD, it's it's the CBD, CBG, it's the other cannabinoids inside that product that give it an entourage effect, along with terpenes and other things that create that. Then if you add the other factor in of metabolites from like a prodrug, is a drug that goes in as an inactive substance, and then your liver converts it into an active substance. Well, berberine happens to have no less than four active metabolites and as many in some reports as 17 metabolites. And we don't know what those metabolites do, but it's pretty clear. And here's a a, a direct quote from an article. Let me just make sure I get the title. This is the metabolism of berberine and its contribution to the pharmacological effects. And then let me read this quote because and this wasn't something we had focused on a ton in the beginning, but we had, we had discussed it. But the more we, we did the research, the more evident it became that there's something unique about it. Even though berberine possesses a low oral bioavailability, it has exhibited marked biological activities in vivo, which is in people, and concentrations of its major metabolites, such as berbubarine, balfenidine, uh, I'm going to say these wrong, I'll butcher these names, delmethyl thialine berberine, and jatserizin—that that is a butcher of those names. But they are relatively high. And then it says, these reports indicate that the metabolites of berberine may be active constituents which are representative of the biological activities of berberine in vivo. And I mean, that sums it up, that that there is something unique about berberine despite this quote-unquote low bioavailability study after study shows that it works. And then now as we're getting more and more studies that are coming in and where our ability to measure these metabolites that are coming in, active metabolites, meaning your liver's converted it into a active, a new active form of berberine, they actually also store in your various organs like your liver and your kidneys and your brain and other places that allow for these other properties of berberine or that we suspect based on the data allow for these other properties of berberine. So by isolating one particular compound, yes, you may get less side effects, but you may not get all of the benefits of berberine. And I think between that and the fact that the data is very consistent on berberine says berberine is the way to go. Now, we might decide to do a dihydroberberine in the future for some other specific reason. But if we're looking to get the maximum benefit across the spectrum of berberine, then we wanted to use the whole berberine plant.
0: I think it's so interesting. Scott found, I don't know if it's the one that you were just speaking about or if it was a different one, but you found this really great article, which basically speaks to this issue that people will say about berberine, which I find really ironic because people will say it's not very absorbable, like an issue basically, and that we need to fix it. But it's just really ironic because all of the studies were like, for so long, and then it's been used for thousands of years, have been working with it in this form. So clearly it's working in this
2: form. And then all of the data is in this form, right? So when they, so all of the studies we've read to you today, all of the data we've read to you today is from berberine. And so you could take a chance that, yes, because it's more, quote-unquote, absorbable and, and less impactful on your gut— well, okay, maybe that works, maybe that doesn't. Just because it's higher in your plasma doesn't mean that that it's higher concentrated in, in your organs, which may be the very benefit we're getting. So I think you're right. It is sort of ironic that we think we have to fix a product.
0: It's pretentious.
2: Yeah, we have to fix a product or a natural alkaloid that has decades. In fact, let's go back to your earlier number of 4,500 years <laughs> of use. So yeah, I, I'm pretty confident berberine is the way to go. And for those folks that do have J-Upset, I, again, I would say take it closer with your meal at first and go, you know, start low and go slow. So try one, just take one a day for a while, get your body used to it. You had mentioned maybe it's sort of a detoxification process, go low and start slow. But uh, yeah, it, I think you're exactly right to say that this other form is better with no real data, I, I don't think is the right way to go. Is dihydroberberine, does it have some advantages? It very well could, but when we're talking about all of the data and all of the studies and these active metabolites, this is this is the product that I feel most comfortable taking.
0: I think that's the key thing to focus on, which I'm not saying at all that creating an isolated form of anything might have more of a benefit for maybe a certain goal in mind. Like you might be able to finesse it to, you know, have a specific intended effect. And so maybe with dihydroberberine, maybe people, and again, I, I would just need to see more like literature and experience with people, but maybe it does work better for some people, which is great. But what's interesting is often rather than saying, when people posit dihydroberberine, for example, often rather than saying, This is another form of berberine that may be more beneficial for certain people, for certain goals. It's posited like berberine isn't very absorbable. They like discard, (laughs) they discard like the entirety of the berberine literature, which makes no sense. And we do this, we do this with other things. We do this with turmeric and curcumin. Like people will say that we need to take a curcumin supplement because it's not very bioavailable in turmeric when people have been using turmeric for the benefits for so long, people do it with resveratrol and wine. It's a very common thing that people
2: do. Or like a polyphenol versus an individual you know, phenol, right? And, and that's why I love this one specific sentence, which is even though berberine possesses a relatively low bi- oral bioavailability, it has, it has exhibited marked biological activity in vivo and the concentrations of its metabolites, such as, and i butchered those, indicate the metabolites have an active constitute that represents significant biological activities of berberine. And in fact, berberine studies have revealed that the metabolites have shown similar bioactivity, and it goes on and on. And so there is something unique about it, the way that that it is absorbed. It is not directly correlated to plasma. And in fact, I found it might be within this article or the other one that I had sent you, it says that part of the reason that the plasma levels in berberine aren't high is because it's getting pushed into the organs where it needs to be. And that was mind-blowing to me.
0: Also related to our whole creation process. So we had that question at the beginning about dihydroberberine versus berberine. And then when we decided on berberine, it was time to actually create it. And Scott shall we tell listeners a little bit about our journey
2: journey is a good way to put it (laughs) would you like me to start
0: sure hi friends i'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free plus special announcement elements new chocolate medley is here so when you think electrolytes you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, And you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises, and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, aka it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that... When you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration and electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes, which are clean, without unnecessary fillers and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely wanna stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other element electrolytes. That's right. You can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash podcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast to get your free electrolytes.
2: So breaking the fourth wall a little bit, Melanie had some very specific criteria as usual, all legitimate. And so we began on this pursuit for the perfect Berberine. And one of the Berberines that we looked at that had this really great story and this great sort of, it's organic from the Himalaya mountains. And then there was another one from the western part of the country, yada, yada, handpicked, etc. However, when we tested those berberines, they came back with both impurities and their potency level was remarkably low. And then I did a little more research and found that these companies also had some FDA warnings. So there's a thing in the FDA when you have a GMP certified facility, it's not just about the source of where you get the product. The most important thing is, have you done the four critical components of testing? which is strength, identity, purity, and compliance composition. And what we do at MD Logic Health, and this is why I think we are so selective about who we partner with in terms of suppliers and, and also co-branding partners such as Melanie, is we want to be the best of the best, just like Melanie. What we discovered was that these other Berberines not only failed to meet the specifications that were required, but that they also did not meet GMP, meaning the facilities themselves had multiple 483 notices or 402 requirements, which basically means that they were citation with significant issues in terms of their facilities GMP. So some folks are saying, well, where is it sourced from? Well, that's important, except the most important thing is, have you done the correct analysis to protect yourself against heavy metals purity identity strength toxins etc and so when we get a product in this case berberine we quarantine everything that comes into our facility it is then tested before it is allowed to come in for those four things back to what is the identity what is the strength or the the uh, amount of active ingredient what is the purity meaning are there toxic metals does it meet all of the standards we're referring to and is it meeting all of the compliant fda requirements for purity potency etc those four things are done before that product even comes into our doors so unfortunately two of those products failed to meet our standards which obviously disappointed us but we were not going to allow you know faulty product or sub subpar product into the process And when I went to look back at the companies that were utilizing these products, what I discovered is they had multiple 43s, including, but not limited to, various toxins, lack of doing the standard studies, and in shocking fashion, rat feces and a number of their herbs.
0: Was it in the herbs or in the facility?
2: It was in the facility, so I don't know whether it was in the herb or whether it was... Contaminated in the facility or, or how, but it was tested, found in the facility, meaning that multiple of their herbs had rat feces in them. And this is a pretty well known brand, which we're not going to mention, but the fact of the matter is that they had obviously either not quarantined it and brought it in with the feces, or the feces was in the facility and they hadn't done their due diligence on making sure that the facility was properly protected against those types of things. So when a company says they're GMP certified, that's one thing, but they need to be following all of those GMP tests. The reason that we quarantine the product before we bring it in is if that product is contaminated, you run the risk of contaminating your entire line. So that's why it is quarantined and tested prior to its entry into our facility. Once it's tested and it passes all of those tests, we then bring it into the facility and then we do again what's called batch testing and we retest that same product after it's been manufactured to make sure it still meets all those specifications and has the amount of milligrams we say it has, it has the proper ingredients, and it still meets all of the same parameters to make sure that it didn't get infected or or contaminated along the way so it's not just important to do it after you've created it it's important to do it before it enters the facility it's important to make sure you follow all of the criteria that gmp lays out in terms of where you store your product how high you store it what temperature you store it at all of these things add up to what's called good manufacturing process. So it's more than just testing for purity, strength, identity, and compliance. It's also, did you do the proper testing on how long it's going to last on the shelf, for example? What temperature did you expose it to? Did you have a COA from the supplier of the ingredient? And then did you also subsequently test it? Some people will take the COA from the supplier as the gold standard and then not do their own testing. That's not the way to go because they may have gotten one sample to pass that test, but then give you a different version or a different sample or different supplier. And sometimes companies will change suppliers without then doing a retest of the ingredient. And that of course is not kosher either. You've got to make sure that you're doing GMP the way GMP is written. And that is why there's a difference between us and folks that aren't following those same uh, procedures.
0: Yeah. So I actually just pulled up the warning letter that you had found about that company because I wanted to see exactly what it had said. And so this wasn't for their actual Burberry and it was for the the company in general, but their manufacturing plant basically. And for example, it like this is direct from the FDA warning letter. It says tree nut shells, peanut shell, corn, rodent feces, and seed foreign material were detected in their ashwagandha Tree nut shells, glass, hard plastic, and rodent feces were detected in their bilberry fruit, and, and there's a lot of other things as well. And this is, I mean, Scott, this is so shocking. So, like, if I, so like their ashwagandha that they're talking about that had rodent feces in it, as well as all of these allergens. If you go to their Amazon page, their ashwagandha has five hundred and six ratings, four and a half stars. It says that it's organic. It says it's free from gluten, dairy, and soy. The other pieces in this warning letter say that they found wheat in some of their other. Yeah, wait, wait, sorry. I missed that. Wheat and rock was also found in their ashwagandha. So, listeners, literally. So, like, you can go to Amazon and, you know, get this ashwagandha, 506 ratings, four and a half stars. It says it's organic, says it's gluten, dairy, and soy free. And when they tested this, when the FDA tested this, they found gluten, rat feces. And a myriad of other things. This is just so problematic. This is so problematic.
2: It is. I be, I want to. I want to make the statement that I. I think this is the more rare companies, but it's not. It, it does happen. It does. It does exist that you can have a GMP facility with great ratings and a, and a decent brand name, and still have. I mean, I think those are pretty significant issues.
0: And this isn't like some small. Like they have a lot of reviews on Amazon, you know, and a lot
2: of products. Correct. Correct. So bigger doesn't mean better. What What means better is, did you follow GMP? And what is your track record with the FDA? And we have an immaculate track record. And I think that speaks volumes. But it, the reason we have it is we we just believe in following the procedure to make sure that like our families take our products, right? I take Avalonix products. I take MD logic products. I give my family MD logic products. I would never want to have skipped a process or a step because those processes are put in place for very good reason. And most people aren't aware of those because they're not, they're not readily public. You know, it's not really public information, but I think every, I think I remember I got like a five shock emoji face from you when I sent you sent you that that link.
0: Listeners, friends, do your due diligence when you choose the supplements that you choose to put in your body. We found a source that we felt really good about with the testing and we tested it for purity and potency, but then we wanted to go one step further because- this was my first supplement that was an herb. So my my previous supplements have been seropeptase and magnesium. We had the certification from the source that it was free of pesticides, but it was really, really important to me that we do third-party testing on that, just like we did the third party testing for the purity and the potency, because again, it's an herb, so it's being grown. <laughs> so that took a while because it took a while to find what was the word, like a company that would. Do the tests? Yeah,
2: it was a third. It was a third-party laboratory that would do pesticide te- pesticide testing as well as other testing. But we we chose at that point. We had all the other testing. We had done internal heavy metal testing twice, internal purity, internal identification, and compliance. So at that point, we really just wanted to make sure: is this pesticide free by all the definitions that are that are set by the U.S. government and then some? And so we sent that out for a third party pesticide test.
0: Yes. And I'm so happy we found a company that we really like to do that. And it came back all clean, all good. So, oh, and I should tell them the nuance of it. Another reason it took so long to find a company is most of the companies would just give you a blanket, like a yes, no about whether or not it was below a certain level, but I wanted it to be quantified. (laughs) So I wanted to know if it was there, like how much was it there? So it took a while to find a company that could work with us to do that. but we did. and we got the green light. it's all good. No pesticides.
2: It really is. And, I, and I'll tell you, I would not take any other berberine than this one based on the fact that we know the source is good. We've triple tested it in-house for, for the the you know the four cores, right? He- which is purity, heavy metals, you know, et cetera, identity, purity. Strength and potency. So at this point, we feel like we've got a great berberine that's pesticide-free, heavy metal-free, toxin-free, mold-free, at the right dosage. I mean, and in a glass bottle, and on top of that, with no sterates, palmitates, or other heavy chemical anti-caking or filling agents. It's the purest, best berberine. I think that you're going to find in terms of literal testing and its final ingredients.
0: I always have to ask you, Scott, it's a filler and lubrication, right agent?
2: Yes. Yeah, so there's two, there's two things that people should be familiar with it, right? So there's what they call lubrication or anti-caking, because when you put these products through these machines to put them in little tiny capsules, it requires some sort of lubrication agent. And that's typically a magnesium stearate, silicon dioxide, or they'll call it silicon, which is silicon dioxide. Cause that's a FDA allows you to, to say silicon versus silicon dioxide, little euphemism or a calcium palmitate, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I take products with magnesium sterate in them. I, mean, I don't think it's the end of the world, but if you're taking 15 capsules a day, you know, you wanna get it as pure as possible. And I think in this day and age, we're already exposed to so many things. We wanna make sure that it's that it's as clean as it can be. So yes, this product is free of magnesium steroids. That is an anti-caking agent, which means it prevents it from blocking up the machines. Which is also why we have to do small batches and why it's a little pricier. Because in order to shut down an entire line or have a dedicated line that has no lubricant or or a non magnesium stearipomate lubricant, you've got to have these smaller batches or a dedicated machine. And so that's an anti caking. The, they're called lubricants. And then there's fillers, which are typically rice or cellulose or something else that you, you know, may or may not want. So typically when we do a filler and we only do that when we have to, whether that's an avalonics product or a product, we use the most benign possible filler there is, which is methyl cellulose, organic grown human use, basically methyl cellulose, which is sort of like a tree bark or, or fiber. And the only reason you do that is that the capsule doesn't shake loose. In other words, if the capsule sizes You've got to get the, the capsule full, otherwise it's going to shake loose and that capsule doesn't feel right or fit right. The anti cakey agents prevent the product from blocking up the machine, clogging up the machine, and keeping the, the product flowing into the capsules properly. But a lot of folks don't want magnesium sterate, hence why we go the extra mile to do two things, which is A, use either no- anti-caking or a natural anti-caking agent that is either beneficial for you or neutral or none. And then on the filler, we use either no filler or we use a filler that is methylcellulose or something super benign or beneficial rather than things like rice flour or other things that people can be allergic to.
0: Yeah. So the berberine containing a very small amount of monolaurin, which is kind of exciting because it actually people will actually take monolorine for its health benefits but I don't like to emphasize it because it's not like it's not like there's it's barely in there but yeah so it's kind of nice to have something that could be potentially beneficial in there as well
2: and the monolorn in this case would be the anti-caking agent but to your point some people take monolorn as an actual supplement for health for digestive health and so it, I think it pairs really well with berberine as it's a, a, It's taken for digestive health in terms of its benefits, right? Yes,
0: but I really, I really want to emphasize it's not like monolaurin is in there as a supplement, like you're barely getting it. So it's more just to point out that it's benign, like it's a non-toxic.
2: Exactly. You're talking about a minuscule amount of monolaurin. So it's not like you're getting a supplementation of it. It's really just because this is either beneficial or neutral versus some people who feel that the steroids can be a negative. Exactly.
0: So yeah. So I'm so excited because it's almost here. Our, no, 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 no. When this releases, it will have just launched. So friends, if you want to get this Burberry, we are having an amazing launch special that is through the holidays. So through December 31st, right? Like through the...
2: Correct. So it starts on December 16th and goes all the way through the holidays through December 31st perfect time for your January 1st, you know, sort of New Year's resolutions. And there's a tremendous discount that Melanie will have on her website. So Melanie, I'll let you take it from there.
0: During this launch special, you can get 15% off of one bottle or 25%, which is amazing, off of two or more bottles. And that is just during this special and or while supplies last. So stock up now. That will be at AvalonX.us. Again, AvalonX.us, 15% off of one bottle, 25% off of two or more bottles through the end of 2022. Beyond that, some other resources. So if you want to stock up or get my other supplements, serapeptase and magnesium, you can use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON. That will get you 10% off. Or if you would like a 20% off code, you can text Avalon X. So just the word Avalon X, you would not believe how many people text not Avalon X, they text like, they're like, hi, give me the 20% off code. I'm like, no, 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 that's not how this works. Like, <laughs> like, like this is the computer can only read Avalon
2: X. It's a computer. Yes.
0: It's a computer. So um, text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. That will sign you up for text updates and will give you a 20% off code. You can also get email updates at avalonx.us slash email list. And then both that 20% off code and the 10% off code, Melanie Avalon, are also good at MD Logic Health. So Scott's main company. So they have an array of... they have How many products do you have, Scott?
2: Right now we have about forty something SKUs and products, and we're probably gonna have somewhere closer to sixty-five mid twenty twenty three. We've got a very aggressive pipeline of either cutting edge and or you know, newly formed versions of products that we feel are gonna be beneficial.
0: Yeah. So that's super, super exciting. So definitely check them out. I know one of the supplements we've talked about a lot on this show is your melatonin. I know people are really liking that one.
2: Fan favorite for sure.
0: Yeah. As well as Scott's collagen.
2: Thank you for mentioning both. The melatonin we reformulated by the way, which is the exact same melatonin formulation, but we took out the rice and we took out, I think it had a little magsterate. So we removed that. So now that is a even more Pure, more clean version of our Melatonin Max. And yes, our co- marine collagen is doing really well. People love it because you're getting 13 grams of collagen, plus, you're getting what they call cofactors to create collagen or collagen synthesis in your body. People underestimate that part because you can take as much collagen as you want without vitamin C, manganese, zinc, vitamin A, and vitamin C you cannot convert those amino acids into collagen. So you can drink collagen all day. It's sort of like making a cake with a ton of powder. But if you don't use a little bit of sugar and butter, you're just going to have a giant flour cake.
0: Yes. So I can guarantee you this collagen was Scott's baby, kind of like the way I am with my supplements. So if you are looking for a collagen supplement, this is the one that you want for sure. If you want to go through my site to get that, the link is melanieavalon.com slash MD logic. And again, the coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you 10% off site wide as well as that 20% off coupon code that you can get by texting Avalon X to 877-861-8318. And again, stock up on Burberry before the, before the special ends.
2: Well, Melanie, I have never been so excited for one of your launches as I am for Berberine. I feel like your audience is going to love this. I feel like this is going to be a tremendous product for your fan base, but most importantly, I think now having done three products with you and having having had multiple discussions on your future products, I feel like I need to assure your fans that you do not let a single thing go. Every single thing that goes into this product and does not go into this product, you have your eyes on, the research on, And I think together we're making a fantastic team and even more importantly, great products that are really healthy and great for people. And I couldn't be more thrilled to launch Berberine with you. So this is fantastic.
0: I am just so thrilled and honored and excited and grateful as well. Listeners, working with Scott has been the dream partnership and I'm just so, so grateful that I can finally do exactly what I wanted to do with these supplements and make them for myself and for everybody else. So... I'm so happy. I actually, this is a good way to end. Literally just right now, Scott, you know how you were mentioning earlier, the um, person at that CGM company who was sharing his experience about, or who, on the podcast, he actually literally just emailed me because I had emailed him to tell him I was making a Berberine. Would you like to hear what he said about Berberine?
2: I would love to hear what he said. This is this is like serendipity.
0: I know this is like in real life, like real time.
2: <laughs> it's real time. It's happening at the moment
0: complete third party. All I did was I told him I was making a berberine supplement. So he said, berberine is a great idea. Of all the supplements I've tested for glucose regulation, berberine has had the most significant impact and our internal staff experiments confirm my anecdotal observations. One cool thing to test with berberine would be proper dosing. Most use berberine as a pre taking 500 to 1000 milligrams, 20 minutes before a meal. I tried that and it didn't work for me. That's what you were saying, Scott. A smaller camp, including myself, take 500 milligrams twice daily, morning and evening. While it did take a few weeks to see results, I saw an overall decrease in my own fasting glucose on that regimen. So, yeah, that's a nice little testimonial, and I think it really speaks to when you guys get your berberine, you know, you're gonna need to find the way it works for you specifically. So, um, yeah,
2: that is a great way to end. I think that's serendipity.
0: I think so. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. And Scott, you're going to have to come back for all of our future product launches. I hope you're down with that.
2: I can't wait. And I look forward to any questions, comments from the fans. I, I'm starting to, be, to feel like a fan and a and a, a welcome member of the family of the, family, the I have podcast. So thank you so much for having me again, Melanie. I look forward to us speaking again.
0: You too. And this will have already happened, but have a happy Thanksgiving.
2: That's right. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.